I'm Dan Joseph. You're listening to the Dan Joseph's America podcast. There's a whole lot going on in American presidential politics right now, and it's an election year, of course. Not sure if that's seen by most people as a good thing, but, you know, it happens every four years without fail. And here we are. The Iowa caucuses are on the 15th. That's next Tuesday. I don't believe how fast they came up. It's, it's incredible, really. And here's what's going on there. Big lead for Trump in the polls. But in Iowa, the polls are, it's a very difficult state to poll because it's not a normal primary where everyone votes for the candidate of their choice. In fact, Iowa is where a lot of upsets happen. You can go back to Mike Huckabee winning uh, in 2000 and uh, uh, what was it 2008. You can go to to um, Ted Cruz winning, beating Donald Trump in uh, 2016. Mitt Romney lost in Iowa in 2012 to Rick Santorum. A lot of upsets happened, especially recently. So it's not impossible for either DeSantis or Haley, I think, to catch up and get a, a strong, maybe second place showing. Because I still think Trump is going to win. But one way or another, it's I mean, it's going to be a mess, right? If, if Trump wins and DeSantis comes in second, he gets to move on to New Hampshire from Iowa. If Haley comes in second and DeSantis comes in third, DeSantis will have to drop out. He'll have no choice because he's really focused so much on Iowa. We don't really know if he drops out where his voters will go, whether they're anti-Trump or whether they're just pro-DeSantis. Whether they might decide, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I just don't like Trump, so I'm going to go with Haley instead. But that would be the most interesting outcome, though. I think if Haley came in second in Iowa and DeSantis dropped out. And if that happens, Haley will probably have a shot in New Hampshire. It might still be tough, but she could make it close if Chris Christie does the sensible thing and drops out. And, and, and Christie, because his whole point, Christie's whole reason for being in the race is to stop Donald Trump. But he doesn't have a chance to win. So if Haley is the only one who can stop Trump in New Hampshire, he should get out of the race and endorse her before New Hampshire. Because none of the 10% or so of Christie's voters, which is not insignificant, none of them are voting for Trump. You would have to assume that just about all of them go to Haley. Now, let's say that Haley wins New Hampshire. A miracle occurs, she wins. That means you have a race that happens to be in her home state next, South Carolina. And you have to assume she'll gain some momentum from New Hampshire. And will. And again, Trump has a really, really big lead in South Carolina right now. And But we'll have to see where the polls are. But it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that she could win her home state. And then you have a real race. Uh, I think a lot of this is very unlikely. Trump still has the organization. He has the passion among his base. He is still the likely nominee. I think it would take an inside straight to beat him. But as I see it, that is something that only Nikki Haley can do at this point. Uh, but she has to have a strong showing in Iowa. I think she has to win New Hampshire. I could be wrong. If, if she's a strong second in New Hampshire, the momentum could carry her to win South Carolina, possibly. But if she doesn't win or, you know, essentially tie in South Carolina, I think the whole thing is over and Trump is the nominee. Now, as we've seen for this entire show that we've been watching, um, Trump is basically ignoring his primary opponents. Mostly, he has a jab for them here or there, but he obviously thinks that he is so far ahead that he can mostly ignore them 
and focus on his other favorite topics, mainly how much of a victim he is. He had a particularly uh, disgusting moment the other day in Iowa where he made fun of the late John McCain's war injury. It's not the first time he's done something along those lines with McCain. Uh, he has a grudge against McCain because he killed the the repeal of Obamacare. But we, we, we all remember the not a war hero co- comment, though, that he made at the very beginning of his campaign in 2015. So it wasn't just the Obamacare vote. The, that was actually the moment I decided that I would never support Donald Trump, no matter what. But, you know, again, it, it doesn't hurt him with his loyalists. And I think that's kind of sad. But, I mean, we all know the drill right now. We all know how it goes with the MAGA people. Um, he and his supporters have actually started referring to those serving sentences for the January 6th insurrection as hostages. They're not prisoners anymore. They're hostages. Elise Stefanik, who's a high-ranking Republican congresswoman, called them that, too, on Meet the Press on Sunday. And it's pretty shocking, but that's the narrative that is taking control in MAGA right now. They are convinced of a couple things. Uh, First, that January 6th was not really Trump supporters, that it was orchestrated by the FBI and that those being – or the Democrats – and that those being punished for attacking the Capitol and trying to stop the government from doing its job should be free. And MAGA – And Trump have both started to promote this line of thinking. And they're trying to mainstream, essentially, the conspiracy theory. Now, um, will that work? I don't know. I don't think so. I I think most people understand that it wasn't just sort of a tourist thing with the people who broke into the Capitol and smashed windows and took over the House floor. One woman died. And we know it was January 6th on Saturday, this, this past Saturday. On Friday, Joe Biden gave a speech where we learned more about Biden's campaign strategy. And it looks like his campaign is going to be focused on the theme of Trump being a threat to democracy with January 6th as being evidence. You're going to hear a lot about January 6th for the next 10 months. So if you're sick of hearing about it, sorry. You're going to see a lot of commercials with footage from the insurrection over the next 10 months. That is going to be Biden's primary strategy. You're going to see us rehash what happened on that day and the things that Trump did that day. Now, will this work? Uh, The Biden team thinks that it worked in 2022. And and you remember that the Democrat strategy that cycle focused heavily on beating election-denying Republican candidates. And on January 6th, and you remember the Democrats avoided a big red wave election that a lot of people had predicted. They somehow avoided the big losses that people thought they were going to have, including myself. So Biden is obviously going to try to use that strategy against the ultimate election denier in Trump. And I will tell you, I do believe that the January 6th stuff hits home with a lot of voters. I don't necessarily think that they're worried that democracy is going to collapse if Trump is elected. Democracy will probably be fine. It held the last time. I think democracy is resilient. But I also think that the insurrection is embarrassing. I think a lot of people see it as really a statement as to who we've become as a country and just how insane politics has become. And I think they connect that with the rise of Trump. I think a lot of them do. So that's going to be the Biden argument. It's the chaos argument. It's And you see some Republicans using this too now. It's it's that basically wherever Trump goes, bad, insane things happen. I think another Biden goal is to appeal to normality, to appear normal and stable by comparison to Trump. It's part of why he won in 2020 even though he spent most of the campaign in his basement, because anyone can see 
that compared to the Biden administration, if you look back, if you really think back, the Trump administration was not normal. It was not a normally functioning presidency. Biden's is. He has policy, he has problems, right? He has policies that a lot of people dislike, but it's not like there's a ton of day-to-day drama coming out of the White House. It's run essentially the same way that every pre-Trump administration ran things. The president mostly speaks through surrogates rather than on Twitter. His speeches are scripted. Uh, he's, he's hoping to defeat Trump by being normal. On the other hand, he's not getting good ratings on the economy or basically anything else. People are frustrated with the price of the cost of living right now. And traditionally, the people blame the sitting president for their economic issues. That's why Trump is competitive. People, I don't think people are thinking as though this is a race between Trump and Biden right now. I think what they're thinking is this is a race at the moment between Biden and generic Republican. Somebody on the other side. But once that Republican is defined... Once they have an actual nominee and that candidate is there, I think things change in the perspective of most people. But then again, I'm not going to predict this one. Um, I I, I do know that usually incumbent presidents win unless things are really bad in the country. Are things really bad in the country right now? Jimmy Carter got the boot in 1980 because inflation and energy prices, they were a lot worse than they are today. We, we we aren't there where we were in the late 70s on those issues at the moment. George H.W. Bush had a recession. It wasn't that deep of a recession, but it was deep enough to where Clinton, you know, focused on it and won. We're not in a recession right now. We seem to have avoided one. Trump, of course, had COVID and the economy, uh, which declined rapidly during COVID, not really his fault. But more than the economic numbers, Trump was voted out because people just didn't like him. They were They were upset over his leadership during COVID. Yes, that was inconsistent, that was chaotic, but they really didn't like him at any point during his presidency. That was really the defining characteristic. I've always said, if Trump were a normal president and did the same things he did policy-wise as he did during his terms just without the craziness, he would have won easily because people re-elect incumbents. But all this got me thinking uh, about the role of the presidency in general. Why do we care so much about who has this job? Why are we so passionate about these elections? Because, you know, the local elections and who's representing you at a local level and state level, those things have a much greater impact on your life than who's president and what comes out of the federal government. But obviously the vote for the president is the one that unites us all as Americans. It also divides us more than anything else in our society. The feelings we have about the president of the United States Uh, the current president of the United States, are always very complex. And and with the rise of social media and the ultra-partisan news media we have today, the divide is worse than it's ever been before. It's deeper. There's less ability to reconcile those differences after the election is over and a winner has been chosen because right now we can't even agree on who won. Many people hold a deep resentment for those who voted for the winner if it wasn't their guy. You have a situation where the modern president is more unpopular than they used to be. I think the last president who was popular through the majority of his presidency was probably Clinton. And then you had uh, George W. Bush, who was unpopular for his entire second term. Obama, who was really popular at the beginning, but was underwater for the majority of his presidency. Trump, who was always unpopular. Biden, who has been unpopular since the exit from Afghanistan. So unless the economy is doing really well, 
a majority of Americans simply don't like who's ever in the White House. And I think part of that is that many of us no longer hold the presidency itself in high regard like we used to. We don't respect the office the way we did, say, 40 years ago. And, you know, I've sometimes wondered, and I'm not advocating for this at all, but we, we, I've sometimes wondered if it would be better if we went to a more parliamentary style of government, just to heal the divide somewhat, where we vote for our representatives, but our head of state is chosen by the majority party itself, like a prime minister. Or, or, or the, the prime minister is chosen or president is chosen through coalition building. If we did that, we would avoid having presidential elections altogether. So the animus and anger and stress that they would cause, that would be gone. Uh, there would be less risk of getting a seriously flawed candidate because the parties would choose, not the primary voters. They would choose their leader. It would eliminate the anger that people have towards voters on the other side. So, for instance, if I'm the type of person who hates Biden and hates the people who voted for him by putting in office, the parliamentary system eliminates that personal animosity because no one directly voted for the head of state. You see, you catch me, you see where I'm going with this? Now, of course, we have the constitutionally assigned system that we have, but it's always appropriate to look at that system and analyze whether it's working in the best way possible. And if you look at the turmoil in our current presidential politics, can we really sit here and say, oh, yeah, it's working great? And yes, some of that is because of specific people, but some of it is just the way we've become when it comes to politics. One way or the other. I do believe that Joe Biden is fear-mongering. I don't think democracy is at risk like the Democrats have been incessantly repeating. Trump will absolutely cast out upon the electoral system again if he loses. Biden, I don't think would. Uh, I'm not sure about the rank-and-file Democrats. I don't think the Democrats would want to be seen as hypocrites, though, by crying about a stolen election for four years. But if Trump is elected, he, he's, he's just not powerful or popular or competent enough to change our democracy in any significant way. I mean, yes, he has cast out on the voting process, which is really bad for democracy. But if what you're worried about is people storming buildings and widespread civil unrest, I don't see it. I know how the left is talking about, well, Trump said he'd be a dictator on day one. That was a couple weeks ago. It was a stupid thing to say, yes, but what Trump meant was that he's going to sign a bunch of executive orders on his first day, and every president does that. He's not going to declare martial law. That's not, that's not going to happen. It's also interesting, as we learn more about January 6th, we're also learning that Trump's authoritarian ideas of how to steal that election got serious pushback from a lot of other people surrounding Trump. So even those who surrounded Trump understood how serious what Trump was doing was, and they prevented him from doing too much damage. But I guess the question is, will the voters, will those movable voters, when they are reminded of Trump and his behavior by Biden and the Democrats, will that be enough to overcome their disapproval of Biden's policies and the problems that have existed during his presidency? I'm not sure. And, I, you know, I'm not going to try to predict this election, but it's important to note that most of the electorate isn't even thinking about this election right now. It's not the way that those of us who are close watchers of the political scene are, but they, they but the things they will see, uh, the things that the candidates say, the things that the candidates do, 
between now and November, how they campaign. That will all make a difference in how they vote in November. And given the close nature of American politics, we have no idea at this point how that's going to turn out. But I do know this. Incumbents, even unpopular incumbents, tend to win, barring extraordinary circumstances. Because people don't like to make changes unless something is really going terribly wrong in the country or the economy or we're at war. And I also, well, actually, I mean, it's the other way around, kind of when you're at war, people don't like to make changes in the middle of war. We saw that in 2004 with George W. Bush. Um, I also think when you, when you see Biden's current numbers, you know, his numbers are in the high thirties right now. It's not good at all. But when you see though, you're, you know, and you see his numbers against Trump, it's discounting the enthusiasm the Democrats have for actually stopping Trump from coming back. Yeah, the left and the progressives, they aren't happy with Biden now because of his support for Israel and they have questions about his age. But are they really going to stay home if there's a possibility that Trump gets back in the White House? I don't think so. We may not see turnout as high as it was in 2020 with all the mail-in ballots, but I think the numbers will still be pretty high. I, I do think we can do better in terms of candidates, and there are better candidates out there, no doubt about it. The problem is really with the system itself. So maybe, just maybe, it's time to rethink that if we want candidates and presidents that don't divide the country intentionally in order to win as both of our, the two major party candidates right now are doing and have done in the past. And we don't, and we don't, we want candidates that don't stoke the anger and fear that leads people to hate the other side instead of wanting to work with them and compromise and solve problems. So it's all related here. I'm Dan Joseph. You've been listening to the Dan Joseph's America podcast. You may have noticed if you follow me on Facebook, my Facebook pages are down right now. Uh, They have been hacked. I'm trying to get them back. I'm in the process of doing that. But hopefully one way or the other, I'll I'll put something up, uh, a new new Facebook page if I have to start all over again. But I, I hopefully will have it all figured out later this week for now you can go on youtube check out my videos that's dan joseph 78 on youtube and i'll see you on wednesday